come into relationship with him. And so he says, will you give me a drink? And she says, she gets all snarky, right? And she's like, eh, you know. And then he's like, well, if you knew who was asking you, you would, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water, spiritual, not physical, right? And then he gets into this worship discussion with her about worship. Is it truth worship? In the truth, you're all here. Thank you. Well done. You're worshiping God today in truth. It's all head. But is it going to go to here where it's your heart? Where you experience something with the Lord you've maybe never experienced before and you, you love Him in a different way because you know He loves you more than you thought He did. So you get to the end of the story, the woman at the well, he's already told her everything she had done, right? She, he's like, hey, yeah, that's right, you don't have a husband, but you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now, shacking up with, he's not your husband. What you have said is true, but it's not the spirit of things. It's not actually the way it is. And he comes to this moment where he says, she says, yeah, well, Messiah's coming. Whenever Messiah comes, whenever the, you know, new Moses comes, then he'll tell us everything. And Jesus says, I am. If you've only read the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know what that means. He's saying, I am God. I am the one. I am Messiah. I am the Christ. So right there is where we pick up. When he says, I am God, she's like, what? <laughs> All right, this is where we're at. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled. John 4, 27. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what are you seeking, or why are you talking with her? Because they respected him as their master, their rabbi. So the woman left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the people of that town, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is like a good movie. I don't know if you watch movies, but I do. And I like a good movie, right? And some of the best movies are when you have to like pay attention, right? Where you're like, I'm not sure what's going on right now, but if I think really hard, I think I can piece it together, okay? So you're going to have to think really hard today, but uh, he, he's flashing back, he's going back and forth between the townspeople and the woman, and then he's coming to this, you know, the disciples and him, he's like, it's going back and forth, okay? Just, just know that, there's some, there's some action going on. So they went out of the town and were coming to him, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? You ever seen a good old western, you know? Guy gets thrown out of the saloon, right? The doors like this that fly open, and then, you know, there's going to be a scrum, and all of a sudden it's like, meanwhile, back at the ranch, and then it goes to something else. That's exactly what's happened. All right, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, that means teacher, teacher, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
This next verse shows you how confused they were by that. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did that lady give him, slip him a candy bar? Like, Jesus said to them, aren't you glad for Jesus? Jesus doesn't leave you where you're at with your questions. He's like, here, let me answer you. Let me give you some clarity to what I said. Jesus said to them, my food, everybody should have this verse highlighted in their Bible. Just underline it right now. My food is to do the will of him, that's the Father, God, who sent me, and to accomplish his work. That's my food. That's what I do. I do whatever God says, and I accomplish his work. That's food. Verse 35. Do you not say, this is an illustration now. He says, here, let me take it to the physical realm for you, because I'm talking about spiritual things, and you're a little lost. Okay? Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Any farmers? Yeah. I mean, first you plant, and then you wait a while, four months, and then you harvest. I don't even know if we get four months in Rochester, Minnesota, but we'll just... Here, this is what they said. This is what they said, right? This is normal for them. Jesus says, hey, you say these things, but I want you to look. Everybody get your head up. Look. See what happens when you look? Look right over there. Oh, a lot of white on that screen. He says, look. And guess what? When, when he's looking, don't forget the other picture we had. What, what's happening? Where, meanwhile, what? what? What happened right before that? The people were coming out of the town. The two pictures, the two movies are colliding here, right? The people are coming out of the town, coming through the field, coming through the, war, the road, right, on the road, and the disciple, he, Jesus is like, look! All these white road people walking through, coming towards them. Okay, look! Lift up your eyes, I tell you. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Are we talking about physical? Because you said four more months. No, we're talking about spiritual. The fields spiritually are white unto harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving the wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Now we know it's not physical. He's talking about eternal life. This is life forever. Everybody's going to die Memorial Day tomorrow, right? Remember those that have died. And that ought to teach us something. Our fate is no different. We're going to die. That, that, that has to happen. But eternal life, that's something. That's cool. That's forever. Your spirit, the thing you can't like see on an x-ray machine, <laughs> that's got to live forever somewhere with someone, with God, apart from God. You get to choose that. Hopefully I'm waking you up spiritually right now. So that sower and reaper, so, one sows, one reaps, may rejoice together for eternity <laughs> For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap 
that for which you did not labor. You didn't plant it, but you're going to harvest it. You didn't water it, but you're going to harvest it. You didn't cultivate it, but you're going to harvest it, Jesus says. Others have planted, watered, cultivated. They have labored, worked hard, and you have entered into their labor. It's time for you to come to work spiritually, right? Stop sitting on the sidelines. Let's get in the game. If you didn't plant, okay. If you didn't water, okay. If you didn't cultivate, okay. But now it's time. Get in the game. That's what he's saying. He's like, guys, let's go. No more sitting on the sideline. Today's the day we're going to go. Here's the rest of the story. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him, believed in Jesus. Because of the word, the woman's testimony, right? Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I can just finish it for you because he already said it. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Two days of discipleship. Jesus and the disciples feeding the people every word of the Lord. And many more believed because of his word, his teaching. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the, got to underline this in your Bible, is the, is the Messiah? Is, is the like, meh, teacher? Uh-uh. Is the Savior of the world. Open your eyes now, folks. He's not just the Savior of the Jews. He's not just the Savior of the Samaritans. He's the Savior of the world. I don't know where you're here from today, what your cultural background is, but He's your Savior too if you'll embrace Him by faith. He's the Savior of the whole world. I hope that I am opening up your eyes to spiritual things today. Verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet is not, has no honor in his own hometown. There's, there's several references to that in Scripture, one in Mark and one in Matthew, Matthew 13. So when he came to Galilee, even though Galilee, Nazareth is in Galilee and it's his hometown, even though the Galileans welcomed him. That's astounding. Because the prophet's not, you know, he can't come home, right? He, he can't do it. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. So, here's the deal. They had seen his works as well. They had seen his miracles as well. And they're like, do some more of that. Do some more of that, please. But you're going to see as we go on in John, as he says, hey, hey, it's not about signs and wonders, it's about the Word of God. As he, as he starts to unpack for them who he really is and speak to them the Word, they do reject him. They do reject him, right? All right, throw this map up here so we know what we're talking about because um, the words don't, don't paint you a picture, right? So here it is. He came from Judea, Jerusalem area. He 
didn't go around. He went through, so he went to Sychar. That's where he's at right now. But he's on his way to Nazareth. That's his hometown. And then to Cana. That's where we're going to pick it up next week. Give me the line there. That's where he's going. He's at Sychar now in Samaria. He's going to head to Nazareth. That's what the last verse was about. He's like, oh yeah, a prophet's not without honor at his own hometown. I went to Galilee. I went through Nazareth to get to Cana. And people welcomed me, surprisingly. And then he's going to do a miracle next week. So come back and check that out, all right? All right, here we go. I'm going to give you four points to help us recognize where we are at on our journey with Jesus and how to take the next step. Okay, I want to open your eyes to where you're at and how you can take the next step. All right, here it is. Point number one. Just remember, he says, I am God. That's point number one. If you're asking you to start a race right now, it's called a spiritual journey. It's called a run, uh, you know, a race. Uh, ben, you ran a race this morning. How'd it go? It's okay? Med City Marathon, all right? Well, I saw a lot of people racing, and it's hard to get to church today because of that. Anybody else? Yeah, a few of you. Couldn't cross Broadway. If you're ready and you're set, let's go. Let me explain that to you, okay? If you're ready, what made the woman at the well ready? What made the people of the town ready? What made them ready? Think about what we read, what's in the passage. What made them ready? Human testimony. One of our 10-year vision statements is we want you to prepare your testimony, have it ready for three to five minutes, and just share it with other people. Human testimony, testifying that God is good, that God save me from my sin, that he made me new, that opens the eyes of people. That gets them ready. Human testimony is a huge part of conversion. But don't miss it. What made them set? What made the woman set on it? What gave her conviction to leave water bottle behind and run to the city where her reputation was, I'm a prostitute, but I'm here to tell you, I don't care about my reputation, I'm just here to tell you about Jesus. What made her willing to do that? What made her so convicted, so set? What made the townspeople, if you look at verse 39 and verse 42, what made the townspeople so convinced that they're like telling the woman, it's not because of what you said. We know. We believe for ourselves now. What made that happen? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. When you encounter a living God, a loving God, personally, maybe you're doing that for the first time here today. I hope that you're waking up spiritually. It's that relationship with Christ, that personal thing where you're hearing him speak. See, first, there's an intro. Maybe that's what it is for you today. Maybe I'm setting the stage. Maybe I'm planting a little seed. Maybe you're getting the truth today and it's, it's all right here in your head and you're thinking about it. That's what happened, and they left down, and they said, we got to go see. 
And then what happened is they had this second belief, right? Where they were like, hold on, wait, 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 wait. I am brought to a settled conviction that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he did die on the cross. I believe what we did in communion is true. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. I receive that, and my sins are washed away. This isn't just a ritual. This is real life. This is significant. When you come to that, you know, and you know in your spirit, not in your head, in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, Jesus is real, that he really died, and he really loves you. And your experience of that changes what you want to go do. It makes you want to say, let's go! Let's go tell the world! So that's the application. Let me put this on the screen. There is no second-hand salvation, Right? Your dad loves Christ, that doesn't help you. <laughs> your, your wife is a believer in Jesus Christ, yeah, well, you, you can't ride her coattails into heaven. But my grandma, if you only knew my grandma, man, she's a Bible banger. Man, she loves the Word of God. She's got a Bible this thick. Every time I go over, she opens it. That's not going to save you. Her prayers might but that is not going to save you. There is no second-hand salvation. And I think a lot of people come to church on the second-hand salvation train. Well, I went to church, didn't I? You're going to stand before God Almighty. You're going to look Him in the face. You're going to go, look at all the times I went to church. And He's going to look back at you lovingly as all get out, and He's going to say, but did you listen? Did you hear me speaking? I was trying to wake you up spiritually to the fact that you need to do something with my son, Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again in victory over your sin and death for you. Did you embrace that personally? Are you ready? Are you set? Do you have salvation? Do you have a conviction? Or are you kind of like, eh, I'm here, aren't I? Eh. That's not ready to go yet. Let's go. Let's go. I'm redeemed. I'm made new. I want to tell everybody I know about Jesus too. That's it. But keep looking in the passage. There is a different kind of let's go in the passage. It's called eat and run, Right? The disciples are like, let's eat and run. Let's go. Right? Like, we don't got anything to do here. We need to get out of this place. Let's get back home to Galilee. Look at it. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. Let's go. You ever been to, it's a holiday weekend, so I, it just makes me nostalgic. You ever been to a holiday uh, dinner? Like, let's just pick Easter. Been to Easter dinner with your mom? I know Wendy's like this for sure. You, and she won't sit down. She's up there like scurrying around. I got to fix things. I got to make things. I got to get this going. You know, it's like, mom, sit down. It starts nice and then it gets kind of sharp after a while. 
But it gets sharp not because you want her to eat. Why does it get sharp? Because my stomach's growling. Why are they saying, Rabbi, eat? They're like, we're hungry. We brought you food. You're our master. We're following you, but if you don't eat, we aren't. And he's like, guys, I already had breakfast, dinner, lunch. I had it all. You know? And he's not even weary anymore. Remember he was weary by the, by the well? He's not like, he's not like, ah, oh, I can't go on. You know, he's like, hey guys, you ready? Let's go. We got work to do. Let's get to it. They're like, what is going on? So they're all wondering what happened. And he says, let me tell you what happened. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what happened. See, there was this woman at the well. She came. I started talking to her about my father God and how I'm the Messiah. And she embraced me as her Lord and Savior. (laughs) She washed all that sin away. She left it all behind. And she went into town with boldness and confidence to tell all of her friends and enemies. Five of those men were divorced with her. She went into town regardless of circumstance and said, Jesus! you got to come meet Jesus. I love that. I love that. Jesus gives us clarity that he's doing the will of his Father and he's accomplishing the Father's work. See, leading the woman to saving faith was true nourishment for Jesus' soul. It satisfied him and he was ready to go again. Reading that broke my heart this week. Because the busyness of Christianity and the business of the church can take our eyes off of the simplicity of the gospel. I came here to Rochester to accomplish the Father's will. I came here to do the Father's work. So the whole city needs to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just us. The question I was asking myself is, am I satisfied? Am I satisfied? Did we do the will of God? Did we do the work? Am I satisfied with the results? Am I satisfied? And it made me think about things that don't satisfy me. So I'm going to throw five on the board. Things that maybe don't satisfy you. Number one, food. I ate so much yesterday. When I got on the scale today, I was two pounds heavier. That's discouraging. 
But you know what the most disappointing thing is? I woke up hungry. Imagine that. It didn't satisfy. Maybe for a second, maybe for an hour, maybe for a day, but food doesn't satisfy. I keep coming back to it. I love ice cream. But it doesn't satisfy. Not the long term. Experience. Experience. We think that will satisfy us. When I get my high school diploma. Luke, well done. When I, when I go to college. When I marry my sweetheart. When I have kids. When I get the job. The perfect job. But none of those experiences has satisfied me one bit. Not in the spiritual sense that we're talking about today. Money, possessions. You know, the house, the car, the boat. Doesn't satisfy. Relationships. If I could just have someone to date. If I could just have a best friend. I grew up thinking a best friend was a cool thing. I don't even know if that's a biblical thing at all. Fellowship is. I think fellowship can be more than one person. I think it's best if it is more than one person. When that relationship gets fixed, gets healed, when we have reconciliation, then I'll be satisfied. It doesn't satisfy, guys. Entertainment, that's the last one. Probably the most fleeting anyway. You probably get it really quickly. But you watch a movie, well, the next movie. When's, the, when, when's number two come out? When's number three come out? When does the sequel come out? When does it come out again? The end game. Now it's done. It's over. What's next? What's going to satisfy my longing for the next Avenger movie? They're done. I sat there at the end of the movie waiting for the trailer to come up. And I just sat there. And the screen went black and I was like, ah! I'm so unsatisfied. And that's what it is. I want you to consider what truly satisfies and I want you to redirect your attention today. Consider what really satisfies. Redirect your gaze on that. Get into this word every day. Let me tell you a story of this morning. I was preparing for a message and uh, my daughter was playing in her room because, you know, the light kind of wakes you up earlier. And um, her room's on that end of the house. And then my son came up and he was reading a book. And all of a sudden in me rose this like, man, what I taught Noah and Tate was that the first thing you do when you get up is you read your Bible, because that's life and breath. And so I said, hey, kids, come here a second. So Kara and Levi came and come to the table, and I said, hey, guys, um, I see your plan, I see you're reading, I'm excited for you guys, you're up early, this is fun, right? But I was like, here's the thing you need to know. Man doesn't live by bread alone. 
but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. So I can sit here and do the business of the church and make my message one degree better, or I can disciple you and say to you, let's turn over to Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man, right, who doesn't walk, stand, sit near sin. Blessed is the one that doesn't mess around in things that don't satisfy. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that gives its fruit in its season. Man, I'm just we're reading this together, and I'm explaining it to them, and I'm seeing their eyes open to like, yeah. I'm like, that's what we're here to do right? We're not here to preach another message. We're here to disciple the people that are in our purview, the people God's given to us. So the woman goes back to the town and she tells her friends about Jesus. Deuteronomy 8 chapter 3 says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Right? There's some things I, I told you today. We don't know some things. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, right? Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you know what? Taking communion today, when you broke that bread and you put it in your mouth, that isn't going to save you. That's just Physical. But it's a picture of something. Jesus Christ's body on a tree, crucified. His body broken for you. He died for you. His blood spilled for you. It's covering you if you'll accept it. I want to contrast this just quick and I have to move on. Here's the point. If you're reluctant and stuck, it's time to grow. If you're stuck in religiosity, if you came to church today because it's the thing to do, wake up. It's not the thing to do. But let it fill you. Let it not be transactional. Let it be transformational. This isn't a transaction between you and me. This is a transformation. All right, I want to explain it to you this way. Contrast this. The disciples who are Jesus' followers. Anybody? Come on now, can I get a follower of Jesus in the house? The disciples who are Jesus' followers go into town, and they're like, we need to buy food. So they get their money out, and they pay the guy, gal, and they say, thanks for the McDonald's, right? Like, thank you very much. It was a transaction. They walk back to Jesus. They're like, let's eat, let's go. We got to hurry. But the woman, consider the woman, she comes to town and she's not looking for a transaction. She's looking for transformation. It's already experienced in her life and she wants them to experience the transformation as well. So she comes and she says, You got to come see this. Why didn't the disciples do that? They'd seen and heard him do things she'd never seen and heard him do. 
Can I submit to you that in our religiosity, in our busyness, in our business of the church, we forget, we're reluctant to share? Doesn't it say, return to me the joy of my salvation in Psalm 51? Restore in me the joy of my salvation. Remember when you first got saved? 16. I was 16. I was like, I can go tell everybody. And then pretty soon you're not telling anybody. Why not? Guilty as charged. Why am I not taking every opportunity to tell everyone about my teacher and my master, Jesus Christ? What's in the way? What thing are you filling yourself up with that's in the way? Where do I need to change my perspective and open my eyes? And let me ask you this question. Am I spending too much time and money caring for myself and my needs? These are questions that God has put on my heart. And as I look at Jesus and as I look at his passion to do the will of the Father... His passion to finish the work that Jesus, that, that, that the Father had given him to accomplish. I think to myself, what are my desires and passions? And what do I need to learn from Jesus in this passage? He's, he's talking, he's teaching, but can you hear him? Here it is. The disciples, maybe this is you today constant focus on here and now made the teaching of Jesus, because he had the eternal perspective, hard to understand. Right? Isn't it true when you read the Word, you're just like, I don't get it. What do you mean sowing, reaping, and all this physical stuff? I don't really get it. God's like, you don't get it because I'm talking about spiritual things. It doesn't make any sense to your intellect because I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about eternity. Not today, not right now, not eating for sure. Here's the next point. If you realize that you're sent, and I hope you do now, you'll reap and sow. You're going to join the labor, and you're going to join it on both ends. You're going to reap. That's what the disciples were getting ready to do. But I bet you the next town they went into, they didn't miss that opportunity to sow, eh? They're like, if there could be a revival, God used the most unlikely person to begin a revival in that city. (laughs) That means he can use me. That means he could use you. Crazy. He says to them, look, lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. Look at the people. They're coming. And I'm going to include you in the labor. He says, right? The one who reaps. Look at it. Look at it. Verse 35. Do you not say there are four months and yet comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white to harvest. Already the one who reaps. Who's the one that reaps? That's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate reaper of all souls. Everyone has to stand before Jesus one day. Every 
Rochelle quoted that. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You can do that willingly, or you could do that under the submission of God Almighty. The one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. He's like, it's already happening. I haven't even died yet. So that sower and reaper, who's the sower in this story? What well, doesn't tell you? But we read the rest of the Bible, right? She's a Samaritan. She believes in the first five books of the Bible. Who's the first prophet? Moses was the first sower. So Moses told her, there'll be another one like me, right? And then what about John the Baptist? Earlier, in, I mean, so much about John the Baptist in the book of John already. But it says he was in Anon near Salem. That's not far from Sychar. Archaeological, I can't even say it. Those people that do archaeology, they, they say that. Okay, good. Just so you know I'm dumb, that'll be easy. All right, so sower, John the Baptist, Moses, the prophets, now Jesus, now the woman. She's sowing. She just got saved. And reaper may rejoice together. Who's the reaper? Jesus, of course. But he's inviting his disciples, he's inviting us to reap the harvest that he's died for. For here the saying is true, the one sows and another reaps. You can go read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a lot about that. Paul, Apollos, all that. I sent you to reap that which for you did not labor. Yep, Moses did it. Yep, John the Baptist did it. Now we're going to reap. Others have labored, and you have now entered into their labor. You know what? Reaping souls is laboring too. I'm asking you to work. I'm asking you to reap souls. That's work. I'm asking you to sow seed. That's work. I'm asking you to water. That's work. I'm asking you to cultivate. That's work. It's all work, but it's all God's work. And it's his will, and we should do it. We want to accomplish his will, his work. All right. When was the last time that you missed an appointment or forgot something important because you were telling others about Jesus Christ? Like, that will never happen. I have a smartphone. You know, throw your smartphone in the trash and get on the work, the mission, right? People ask me, why are you always late to every meeting? I'm not saying it's biblical, right? I'm not. I'm not trying to spiritualize my lack of attention to detail. But I always answer this. I'm late for every meeting because the person I was just meeting with while I was there was the most important person in my life for as long as they were there. And then I left that meeting and I thought, oh man, I'm late, I gotta go because you're now the most important person in my life. And I'm fully engaged with you. I think there's something to that. I don't think it's uber spiritual, I just think there's something to that, giving your full attention to the person in front of you and listening to the Holy Spirit say what's going on in their life. I'm gonna go over today, I hope you're okay with that. I just want to acknowledge it. I knew this was a long message, but it's really important because I think we need to wake up spiritually. So let me just tell you a story of how this happens. On Friday, I'm in the sauna. It's a steam room, but I call it the sauna. 
I'm in the steam room. I walk in. There's only one guy there. I say to him, hey, how's it going? It's Friday. You got any big weekend plans? He proceeds for five minutes to tell me his weekend plans. It's not what you'll be doing this weekend. There was a lot of things said that, you know, I probably wouldn't say. I'm not repeating it to you. But it was true. I'm going to get a place. We're going to have some fun. And it's going to be awesome. It was great. I listened. I was praying. I was asking God for opportunity. And he said, so what are you going to do this weekend? (laughs) And uh, that's a crisis moment. I said, um, so I want to say this. My life's a little different than yours right now. And um, there's no condemnation. I just, I'm just in a different spot. I have five kids. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't mean anything, by the way, but, uh, you know, I'm a pastor. And um, so I'm going to preach the word on Sunday. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And uh, so since we're here, you know. <laughs> and, and you know what the funny thing is? Like, I didn't have to give him one of those cards we said we were going to hand out last week. We walked out of the sauna together. I'm praying for this young man. I hope his weekend goes well. And I, I did. I warned him. I said, don't do anything you regret. It's probably not going to satisfy you anyway, right? But we all walked out of the sauna, steam room. And, um, and he said to me, I said, I said to him, hey, what's your name? And he told me his name. And I said, my name's Steve. And he said, hey, what church is that that you go to? No card needed. I go to Harvest Bible Chapel. We meet at John Marshall High School, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. He said, I'm going to have to come check that out. I graduated at JM. And I don't know what will come of that. But that's sowing. And then there's watering. And there's cultivating. And there's reaping. And by God's grace, someone's going to reap the, whole, the soul of that young man one day. And we will all rejoice together in heaven. Is that, is that clear? That's what we're trying to do. And I'm not saying that to pump me up. I wouldn't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. If I walked into the sauna for my own thing, I wouldn't do that. So I'm grateful for all the faithful sowers and reapers in my life. And I just want to name a few of them. Maybe you would just do that in your own life. My mom and dad. My grandma with the big, fat, thick Bible. Every time I'd come to her house, we'd play card games. And then she'd get the Bible out and we'd talk about Christ. Right? Mrs. Armour, my kindergarten Sunday school teacher. Right? Huge spot in my heart. some reason I wouldn't sit by my parents in church I'd always sit by Mrs. Armour she'd give me mints it was awesome <laughs> made church fun and taste better too all the Sunday school teachers 
all the Awana leaders, all the kids people that are serving our kids right now, telling them about Jesus right now, all the preachers and youth pastors I had, every single one of them making a deposit on my life. Mr. Daniels, my coach, principal, and a mentor like crazy, changed my life. Ken Rudolph, who preaches at Lake Ann Camp, I will see him again this year, and I always go back to him and say, Ken, if not for you, I wouldn't be in ministry, I wouldn't be here. God used me in your life, or in my life. Please don't stop preaching the gospel to teenagers. He's still doing it. Y'all need to go to camp. Because I'm going to. My sister Cheryl, Ron Zappia. I mean, just the list goes on. So many preachers that have impacted me. <laughs> to the work, okay? Sowing and reaping. It's work. Don't say it's going to happen someday. Someday, yeah, I'm going to do it when I learn a little bit more about the Bible. Today's the day. Do it now, right? Matthew 9, 37. It's going on the screen. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What do you think is going to happen if you take a seat and start praying? What do you think is going to happen if you give up control in that prayer time and start listening to God? Who do you think is getting sent? Wake up! Wake up spiritually, people. He's sending you if you start praying. He's sending you if you give up control. He's sending you. Amen. Here I am, Lord. Send me. All right. Last point. If we rejoice that we are saved, it will cause us to glow. Now, this isn't some extraterrestrial thing, okay? But it's serious. Just think about the fruits of the Spirit or the lack thereof in your life. If you've put on the fruits of the Spirit today, love, joy, peace, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I forget one? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because that's not here. I'm trying to be. But gentleness is tough. The reason I keep going hard after is because if I put it on, it would actually make me glow more, you know? If you're saved, rejoice in the Lord, right? Rejoice. There should be some joy. There should be some contagiousness about you. I can't believe Jesus saved me for pornography. I can't believe that Jesus gave me uh, the ability to preach. I can't believe that Jesus brings people to hear. I can't believe this. Can you believe we get to do this again today? Can you believe we get to sing and worship again? I can't believe this. It's crazy. So we rejoice together and we'll rejoice for eternity. We're saved. Everyone has to come to the place of personal faith and trust, right? Receiving the grace of God by faith in your own life. If you've never done that, here's the assignment. You ready? Come on, wake up. Here's the assignment. Write it down. Read through the book of John. Ask Jesus to speak to you. And every time you read the word believe, underline it. Just read 
John, and every time you hear the word, read the word believe, underline it. I believe that God will get you right there. It says, we believe, we know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the most astounding thing is that these people who have been saved for two days are like, this isn't just for us, this is for the globe. And then we come to church and we're like, yeah, I'm going to get filled up again. Right? This isn't just for us. Your neighbor needs this. Your coworker needs this. The person at the grocery store where you get your gas needs this. And you're glowing all the time, or not. So put on the joy of your salvation again today. Realize for the first time, or maybe again, how awesome it is that Jesus died for you. And go out there and put a smile on and start hugging people and saying, You're forgiven in Jesus' name. You just need to accept it already. It's so awesome. The question is, is Jesus my personal Savior? I'm going to flip over to uh, Matthew. I want to end our service right here. Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read it for you. If Jesus is the Savior of the world, do you realize that you're a sinner? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you? Do you believe by faith that Jesus has paid for your sin and set you free? You're like, I'm not good enough to accept that. Yeah, I know you're not good enough. That's why you should accept it. That's why you need it. You'll never be good enough apart from accepting Jesus Christ. He'll set you free. And now it's my joy and privilege to tell everyone else that I met about Jesus, my Lord and Savior, the Savior of the world. This is what it looks like, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. You don't hide the fact that you're glowing, but you put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house in the same way. That's physical. In the same way. Now we're talking about spiritual. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. We know that those works are from the Holy Spirit, right? The things that are happening good out of me, out of you, those are from the Holy Spirit. That they may see your good works, Jesus Christ shining through you, Holy Spirit shining through you, and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That's the glow. The glow is glory. You know God's glory can come through you? Let it shine today. 